0: Verses 7, hey there I go, hello everyone, verses 7 through 14, 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 14, there we go, got that on too, rock and roll. As you guys are flipping there this morning, I want to start our time off with a verse that I believe perfectly captures the Christian life and also captures what we'll see this morning in the process of old being made new. As you guys are finding your way there in First John, I'm going to be reading from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 and on. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Amen. This ministry of reconciliation should be the rhythm of our lives. This means for the Christian, there is never a time of sitting still. Now, don't hear me say that and conflate it to meaning there's no time for rest, there's no place to lay your head. We know that's not true. We have every cause, both out of necessity and for proper joy to abide in Christ, but This ministry of reconciliation as new creations isn't something that just happens. It's not something that just falls into place. It requires the hands and feet of God to be the hands and feet of God. It requires the church to stand up and be the church. It requires those who are new creations to live as new creations. And our verses this morning, I believe we're going to continue to see what we've been seeing through First John so far. A call for great action in Christ that will sustain us to complete that action. Last week, we got to see that as Christ being our advocate, as we so desperately need. And that continues on to us this week as the Apostle continues in these verses. Our text is going to be broken into two sections here as the author had it broken into. The first being verses 7 through 11 and the latter being 12 through 14. This first section here, we're going to see an outlining, again, of this friction, old being made new. Not necessarily of us as Christians, but the great commandment of God. The great commandment of God. If you are familiar with the Heidelberg Catechism or uh, any of the Gospels and this great commandment, it should be coming to mind that, obviously, along with the ten that God gave, the greatest he pulled out was to love God with your whole being, and the second commandment being like it, to love your neighbor. This is the commandment that's being referenced here as we pick up in verses 7 through 11. Read with me. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. It's quite the thing to prepare for this as John throws me in a bit of a conundrum here to start off and say, I'm writing you no new commandment. And then to go on and say, at the same time, it is a new commandment. It makes you examine what exactly makes the old new And there will be a myriad of things that we go down that show us that this morning. But the biggest thought I want us to start out with and hopefully leave with by the end of the day is that the commandment to love God and out of an overflow of loving God to love others, that great commandment makes all old things new. This ministry of reconciliation will be going on until all things are made new. And we know this in other terms as Christ's return. Now, where does that leave us as the church today? For us, in our context, ministry at Milledgeville is difficult. From a college student to a family. It is difficult. For various reasons, some of which are a ton of churches around here with a variation of the gospel. Others may be uh, folks settling into where they are, not necessarily because that's where Christ would have them, but because that's where mom and granddad went. Deep racial divides of which we are sitting right in the middle of on our block here. There's many, many reasons that ministry in Milledgeville feels like a phrase we throw around as elders, tilling granite. But it's not unique to just Milledgeville as it is shared all across the global church. We only have to look a little bit north now to Canada and see the difficulties that they are having. We can always look over to the Middle East and see the difficulties that Christians are having there. We can look to China and see the church underground, although it is coming out still being persecuted. We can look stateside into our own backyards and see freedoms at risk. Truth being labeled as hate speech. And soon, I believe anyway. Not persecution to match those overseas, but indeed, persecution coming. So, Pastor Bailey, why do you start off this way, on the heels of Christ being our advocate? Reason is, we need to understand that our disposition as Christians needs to be that of loving God for two reasons, out of necessity and because it is our reasonable act of worship to love God with all that we are. No holds bar, no circumstances ever changing that. For our very being, we depend on this commandment. And as we do so, we see throughout the Psalms from King David, the law of God being fulfilled by us not building up a new temple, not going out based on our own morals, or our own strength, but first and foremost, primarily loving the God who saved us. And loving our brothers and sisters. He saves alongside us. The reason to paint the picture of where we are contextually and where the church is globally today is to help us see that there might have been a time, especially where we are in the South, where loving God was part of a cultural norm. But I believe now more than ever, the call to love God, to see this old commandment as new to us today, is no longer an option, but wholly and totally necessary for us as the Branch Church Milledgeville and for the church in America and abroad. The reason being, church family and friends who may be listening, or even here now, and the fear that I have is that the world is so much louder about their love for self and sin than the church is about its cornerstone and Savior. It puts us in the only position we can be at that point to be wandering around in darkness. So Prayerfully this morning, we'll come out more determined to love the God who first loved us and see how that shapes our lives to be virtuous, to be faithful, and not to just continue on in this ministry of reconciliation and all of its difficulties and and see it through to the end, but to do that, please catch this, to do that worshipfully, worshipfully. That is the call of the Christian life. So as we begin to... Peel back our text layer by layer this morning. Be in prayer for yourself, for me, that the gospel would be proclaimed and and specifically with our text here this morning, that this old commandment, something I'm sure that we all might be familiar with, to love God, this great commandment, would fall anew on us. Not because it's new in its content, but because it can be and should be to us every time we read it, see it, and hear its call, fall new in our bones, reinvigorating our determination to love God with all that we are. Be in prayer for yourself and those sitting alongside you this morning. Father, we come before you and ask that you would give us a great perspective on the scope of your love for your children this morning. As we begin to dive into our text this morning, continuing on, in first John, that you would grant us a proper vision, not focused on ourselves, God, but focused on you, that as we can hear something that may sound old or dull or may feel like it's lost some of its shine over the years, to love you. I pray this morning for those in here and those who may listen, that it would fall more new than ever. That we wouldn't take the scriptures we read out of context and go and try to conjure up how they may fit our lives or what they can let us build, but instead that they would humble us before you, that we would see your great love and proceed to return that great love with all that we are as you gave us through Christ. So be with us as we seek to love you more today. We pray this in Christ's name, according to your will, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. The Apostle starts here, setting the tone for the entire letter, with this first word, beloved. Beloved. This lets us know that the whole uh, medium of the church family should be exactly that, beloved. We see it in Paul's letters as well, we see it throughout the whole scope of Scripture specifically in our New Testament church in Acts, beloved. That the church as it gathered didn't just do so out of an event or out of a mark on a calendar, but because they had a familial obligation. They shared a fraternal love And did so not out of recognizing one another's worth, inherent worth, not recognizing one another's greatnesses, but recognizing the Godhead that bound them together as a family. For the church, early on, they had no option but to act in this way. We see this even physically as all their resources were shared among them. Over time, especially in America, we've gotten the opportunity to maybe hoard for ourselves, but the church gives us a perfect picture to see the family function of God's people. It's easy to go to church Sunday in and Sunday out and even go to all the church functions and attend them, and attend them. It is one thing altogether, completely different, to be a part of a church family. A couple of the differences are that it would warrant church members to see church problems completely different. What I mean by that is this. If there ever is a church problem, one who attends will see it as simply as a means to potentially leave. If there is someone who is part of a church family and sees a problem, they see it as an opportunity to perhaps correct course for the entire family. And mind you, this is true for laymen. This is not just unique to elders. It starts with laymen. Another difference is a church attendee may reap partial benefits as a means of common grace from God, that they would be among the people of the church, that God has instructed to walk a certain way, to pray, to worship, to live a certain way, that leads to peace. And if someone is around peace, they will benefit from peace. It is another thing altogether for somebody to go from being a church attendee to a member of a church family. To not just partake in the peace, but propitiate it in their own lives, their own homes, and in the lives of the brothers and sisters they worship alongside. Now, why stress this. We'll see as we continue reading here that we should have a vested interest in one another's sanctification. Now, this does not mean that we take it upon ourselves to sanctify one another, as if you are married, recently married, congratulations, Hope and Aaron or have been for some time, you should know, and prayerfully found out sooner than later, you cannot perfect your spouse. It's not your job. That's why the great call of husbands for their wives is to wash them in the word, to present them before God. In the same way for church members, one with another, we should have a vested interest in one another's sanctification, starting with not a spirit of correction or condemnation, but of love. Continue reading with me here verse eight. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him, that him being Christ, and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Another stark difference between one who might be in a church membership and one who might be in a church family is it is one thing to bask in the light it's another thing to be one of the beams that are shooting out into the world what i'm getting at here folks is that the love we are called to have for one another is part of which can make this old commandment new the other hand if it is neglected as part of which we can grow tired of hearing something so simple about the christian life yet so foundational to Christian living. I would be remiss if I did not mention, I found it uh, immediately uh, daunting to try to preach a sermon on a core principle that we all know and I know you know because you've heard it from your other two elders, myself, all throughout Scripture and because all of Scripture points to the love of God for his church. Contextually, one thing that does make this new to the uh, the members receiving this letter is exactly this, that the gospel at this point had moved on just from the chosen Jews, the ethnic Jews, and adopted in the Gentiles, the whole body of Christ. So it was new in this way. It was no longer just for the ethnic Jews. It was for the true Israel, Greek, Gentile, Jew, one all together, The substance of this commandment did not change, but the weight of it did. Catch that. Substance did not change, but as the body of Christ grew, the weight of it did. Both in obligation and again in worship. You'll continue to see this friction. Continue on with me here in verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him. There is no cause for stumbling. We could spend perhaps an entire month on those two verses and tease out all the implications of what does it mean to hate a brother and sister? What does it mean to uh, wander in darkness? Instead, I would like to revisit what I said at the opening here, is that the church has a great problem on its hands when the world is loving its sin far more and far louder than the church is loving its Savior. The reason for that is the church has gotten into a place, and I say globally when I mention the church here, where it thinks that its love for God is best displayed and the functions that it puts on and the conferences that it hosts. And this is not the case. It's not even close to the case. We need to remember the call of the church here is to attract God's children. That means that our love for God and for one another will bring sheep, not goats. Yet, at one point or another, we see churches adopt things like a summer at the movies or singing secular songs before God in worship in an effort to maybe usher in both and let God sort them out. No, church family is not what we do. Contextually, for us immediately, here and now, the implication for us goes far beyond just that. We know who we are as a church. First and foremost, we do not have the funds to even dabble in the function game. And praise God for that, truly. Nor is it our heart's intention. There's a conversation uh, throughout the whole planning process that Pastor Khan and I got to have about what true community is, and he, he knows the whole of that conversation. But what it comes down to is the love of the body of Christ for one another goes far deeper than just piling into the same space once a week or even going to all the things that that church body does. The love of Christ and the effect that it has on his body is sometimes best seen through the silence when you are together whether it be in DNAs or in MCs or even as a church at times as we humble ourselves before the word of God where all we can do is let God speak. The love of Christ and the effect that it has on his body is sometimes best seen over dinner table conversations that carry over from dinner time at 6 to 11.30 at night. The love of Christ for you college students that you can see is very much the same as your fellowship carries on not just from games on the field or classmates in the classroom, but in bearing one another's family burdens as you are a family in Christ. Again, we could spend so much more time on this, but I want us to see and understand that the love of Christ for us should have a great effect on our lives, not just in how we live them, but in their condition. You see, for the Christian, our state of being, our lifestyle, is not necessarily marked by our socioeconomic class. It's not marked by what we have. It's not marked by how much we do, give, take. It certainly plays a practical part in that. But first and foremost, the state of our lives And the well-being of our livelihood starts and ends with the love of Christ. First and foremost, whether or not we recognize the great love with which God has loved us. And see as the apostle is writing here that this is a commandment as old as the beginning of time. And we should not be so careless with it to think that it must have been collecting dust all this while. If it's just been sitting there. That's not the case as it is reignited every single morning the body of Christ wakes up of which you are a part of as sons and daughters. See, this commandment is not just sitting there uh, collecting sediment and floating at the bottom of the ocean. Consider all the particles that sit and get tossed and turned by waves. That is us as the church. We are never still In this ministry of reconciliation, there is always something God is doing through everything. Everything. And even though those moments where we might be flat on our backs through suffering, he will send a brother or sister to pick us up by his spirit and continue to toss us until we wash up on the shore of his glory in a beautiful array of saved brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of God. However, we must be weary here to understand that this means, even in the scope of our salvation, we must look outside ourselves. It is necessary to consider one's own salvation and see where we stand before God, but that is not our finish line when we seek to handle our salvation with care. I'll leave you with a simple question. How are you leveraging your salvation for the benefit of your church, brothers and sisters? Do the folks that you live with know your testimony? And and I don't mean the PC version of it. I mean the inside and outs. Do they know what pains you? Do they know you? Another note for us here is that we cannot just settle and assume that because we are all members of the same local church, that we are loving God effectively. Now I say this with great love for everyone here. And and, and no sharp correction to be had, but simply a note for us is that just because we come here together and just because we are saved in the same city, does not mean we are loving God effectively one with another and alongside one another. I echo a sentiment I had in one of my last sermons here is that if we love God and if we love one another, we have to talk about the greatness of God as a starting point. Even just in that week or that day, not to be puffed up like the Pharisees and say, look at where God has brought me and what he's led me through but to have a disposition of coming alongside one another and considering the greatness of God. Discussing his grace in your life, not just assuming it's common knowledge among you. What we do in this, and in just assuming that one another is doing well and loving God, can functionally lead to hating brothers and sisters. Functionally. That doesn't mean it always plays out in you spitting in one another's faces and slapping each other and walking away. However, it does mean that especially where we are in our context, again, that we can get comfortable in our own corners of Christ and forget that we are a part of a body of Christ. That there is no corner for us to cut off for ourselves. That we must be a part of the greater play at work. It means we must love one another out loud, Not just in our minds or in our thoughts. Both with our words, our deeds. First and foremost, that means we must recognize that we have been loved by God. Which again, has been from the beginning of time. We see the warning in verse 11 that whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Again, this is not so explicit as cursing your brothers and sisters. It's not always so explicit, especially for us, and praise God that it's not, to where there is ardent hate one with another. But sometimes it is implicit in the fact that we may not be necessarily feasting on the love of God. And we ourselves can at times be wondering in darkness. What this looks like practically does not mean you are outright breaking bad in sin. But it may look like you catching yourself at the end of those weeks feeling like you woke up on Monday, blinked, and ended up on Sunday night. Missing Sunday evening worship and the Lord's Supper because of a week that was wasted. That's God's grace to us, and that our wandering in darkness isn't always found out when we hit rock bottom and everybody sees. When it's the Spirit's cautioning in those weeks wasted, those moments where we can look back and see that we did not necessarily worship God, that we didn't start and end with his love for us. What we do when we do this naturally as those who have been bound together is in one way or another present darkness to our church brothers and sisters. Again, don't paint the caricature in your head that you pull up in a white van of sin and tell each other to get in. But do see it as if we are not running faithfully, one alongside the other, and one of us is doing something else. Those who are chasing after Christ have the obligation to course correct, to pick their brother and sister up. And praise God for the body working that way. What I'm saying here for us to see this old commandment made new, we have to understand again that our salvation is not just for us and has made us a part of the body of Christ, and thus is for the body of Christ. The second half of our verses this morning present to us different stages of the Christian life. As John was writing this here, it was not specifically to just the males, but it is a uh, figuring of what we'll see here, the different progressions of Christian living, from little children to fathers to young men. So join me in reading here, verses 12 through 14. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. When we consider the love of God and the thing that it calls us to, this ministry of reconciliation, it can properly be daunting, but when we look at it the right way and see it through the lens of God's love, it should never leave us in disbelief. It should never leave us in disbelief. As Christians, we get the privilege of living this life eyes wide open. That means we see sin for what it is. And we see God's glory for what it is. We see the friction that is on all the spaces and cracks and crevices that the rest, rest of the world is just fitting in between and getting through. We see this by God's grace as he has awoken our minds and our hearts. And it calls our hands and feet to do something. Yet, if you're like me, we may not always start with seeing all of this through the lens of God's love that makes it possible to begin with. We may see it through the strength of self, I want us to understand here that should we ever have any reason for disbelief or ever consider that the task ahead of us can possibly be fulfilled. Even where we are in Milledgeville, call to mind your deepest fear of ministry here. Whether it's loneliness, a lack of fellowship, resource, opportunity, If you think to yourself that maybe the gospel's come and gone in Milledgeville, I'd plead with you to have the hope that that is not the case because God has put his church here and she is still here. And said, cast away your disbelief with the truth that we had from our first section. In verse 8, at the same time it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Amen. This means Christ is reigning now. It's something that you've heard, but what that means practically is light is not just being reserved up in the highest corner of heaven. It's being cast out all throughout this dark and broken world through the local church, the sons and daughters that God calls together and sends out. The light is already shining. We see here, as John says to the young men, Twice, because you have overcome the evil one. Friends, we know this is not by our own strength, but because of who we are in, in the person of Christ, who has overcome the evil one. What then is the effect of the cross if not that he is reigning and we are victorious in the Son of God? What then is our call? What then is the medium? What is the baseline for how to live in this reality of Christ's reign? Is it to go out and do good works? Yes, absolutely. Is it to build wonderful processes as Christians of old did, like hospitals and orphanages? Yes, and amen. Is it to go out to evangelize on Thursday nights on street corners in your classrooms and your families? Yes, and yes, again. But friends, if you do anything, any of this without this great old commandment being made new in your lives. It will be you taking on the burden of Christ instead of wearing the hope that he presents us. This life will be downtrodden. Although you may be living obediently, it will leave you feeling heavy. If we do any of the previously listed things out of any other fountain than love of God for us and love for one another, then we will be clanging cymbals. What this looks like internally is there will be a lot that is being said very loud but not making any sense or change. It will reflect much of the same externally in that we may go and present the gospel, but if the world can look in and see that the church really isn't that different than their clubs from AA to support groups to therapy sessions, then there is no reason to follow Christ. The fact of the matter is, church family, that the world is not reading their Bibles. They're not paying attention to the same notes that we are. Do you know what they're reading? You and your love for God. And every action, every decision that's made or passed This primary means in which the world will see the love of God. We see that in John and that they will know us by our love for one another. So then it's not just something we can put on a sticker, but it is the means by which the gospel will and continue to invade this world. And make no mistake about it, church family, that is the mission of the church to go into every corner of where we are now and win it for Christ, not by our strength, not by our own means, not because we ourselves have overcome the evil one, but because Christ has He is the one who has gone before us and the one who will return to be the crowning jewel of his church, of the living stones of which we are being built up in today. Again, all of this built on the foundation, laid brick by brick, and being finished by this old commandment made new and loving God and loving others. It's my prayer for us that this would not just lead us into another opportunity for self-pity where we can see maybe where we haven't been loving God the most. Perhaps if it is calling to mind such opportunities, I, I pray that it would just lead us to confess to one another and to move on to loving Christ. To move on to loving one another. I pray that you never neglect Never neglect the cost of the cross. That anytime you see God's love mentioned or the love that we're called to have for one another, that you never neglect the fruit that springs up from that is only because Christ's blood was spilled. I pray that this gives you great confidence and that as you see this old commandment from the beginning of time does not make God's law fulfilled seem old to you but instead reinvigorates your spirit, your hope, your determination to be an active part of this ministry of reconciliation. After all, friends, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The life behind you and the life ahead of you is one that will have friction, but will only result in your refining into the image of Christ. Make sure at the same time that you are being active members of this reconciliation alongside those who sit next to you Sunday in and Sunday out. Those under the same roof as you. And in all of it, never neglect the effect that loving God has on your life, your church family's life, and the world. That's the foundation on which Christ came. And it will be the red carpet in which Christ returns on his horse. Go out in great hope, in great confidence, not because of your own means, but because of the greatness of the love of God. See that it overflows into all of your life until Christ return. Amen. Father, we pray that you would be with us in such a high calling, a high task. As your Apostle John lays out for us, it is indeed daunting to see that there is obstacles in the midst of faithfulness. Even our own hearts and minds, we can trip up, that we can wander around in darkness and bump into each other and bump into sin. I pray, God, that you would clean our hands, that you would rid our hearts of any sinful desire that would keep us from living our life, eyes wide open. Awake to sin and its effects and even more awake to your grace and your love and how it has changed our lives and will continue to change the world. We pray this in Christ's name, according to your will and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.